service earlier, but I don't know. I've been waiting for you guys. You're fired up. You're ready to go. How many of you are excited about your new building? Thanking God for it. Man, you know, we, I, I did a little tour yesterday and getting to see all the cool stuff going on in your, in your church. And if you haven't walked around and saw all the kids and saw all the stuff going on, um, your team has been, your lead team has been hard at work, and they have been not only envisioning, but they have been working really, really hard uh, to get this building open. This is a gift from God. I, I got to tell you, Pastor was talking to me a lot about another building, and feeling like that was where you guys belonged as your next building, and so... I was believing with him for that other building, and that other building didn't work out. And then this building, like, it's like he said stuff to me like, oh, well, if we could have, and referring to this building, if we could have this building, like that building, he's like, it's perfect location. It's really, really big. We have a big future there. He's all, like, talking big about it. And next thing I knew, like, that other door closed, this door opened. And he took me to that other building. Yesterday, I'm like, you don't belong there. You belong right where you are. Come on, let's thank God for what he's done. You may be seated. I can already feel that the greatness of your church and the people that are, that are uh, just not only in front of you on the platform, but behind the scenes making everything happen. I'm here today to just encourage you. I want to remind you. Um, that God's hand is on this house. And I want to remind you that this is no accident. I want to congratulate you that you are here 10 years later, still going. Happy birthday, Velocity. You know, a lot, a lot of churches start, and when, when those churches, you know, they, they, they have vision and they intend to be around forever, but most churches that start either shut down or get stuck along the way, and neither one has happened to Velocity. And a lot of that credit belongs to, uh, of course, the core of the congregation, but also just the, the leaders and the staff and the volunteers and, and then the great pastors that you have who have been leading the way. They are generous, they are resilient, they are excellent, they are aggressive, and they are tough, they are talented. I don't know what the T is, but I just spell great for all of you guys. They're just great. So much going on. They're not perfect, but they are, you are blessed to have them as your leaders. And just, let's just, let's just continue to believe God um, for great things happening in this house. My goal today, I'm going to be up front. I'm going, to, I'm going to tell you my goal, and then I'm going to tell you what I told you. <laughs> my goal is that you would all become champions of the house of God. It's my goal. 
I got a few minutes here to make my case. I got a few minutes here to compliment, applaud you that already you're there. All you need is a little affirmation. I got a few minutes to try to convince some of you why. I'm going to do my best just to lean into that idea today to champion the church and to champion the house of God. I'm going to ask you to be ready to take notes or take a picture of the screens when we get into the points. Uh, I'm just going to ask you to learn. I'm going to have an open heart to learn. I'm going to ask you to, uh, while we're learning, have fun, continue to interact and engage with me like you are right now already. And let's clap, let's cheer, let's have a good time, let's repeat, let's just enjoy. But at the same time, how about we grow and we're be better when we leave here than when we came. Does that sound good? Okay, here, here, let's do this. Everybody say, my heart's open. My mind's ready. Make me better, God. By your word. I receive it. I believe it. I won't be the same again. In Jesus' name. Here's what we're going to talk about. We're going to talk about loving and building the house of God. Some people love and build stadiums, some people love and build hospitals, some people love and build universities. I've seen lots of Blue Jay stuff going on the last couple days, signs in the yard, everybody excited. Like Some people love and build all kinds of other things, but God's people have always been called to love and build the house of God. Let me show you what the psalmist says. I'm going to give you like four verses here. First one is in Psalms 26. I love the house. I love. Everybody shout love. love. I love the house where you live, the place where your glory dwells. Next one is better is one day in your courts than a thousand elsewhere. Like I'd rather be, and he's just picking out doorkeeper, usher, parking lot. He just means I'd rather be like here in my space where I'm called to be than out there with everybody else just hanging out in town. Better is one day in your course than a thousand elsewhere. Psalm 122, I rejoice with those who said to me, it's Saturday night, let's get ready to go to church on Sunday. I was so glad. I wasn't sad. I wasn't mad. I wasn't like, oh man, got to go to church again. He had an attitude. Do you see it coming through? He had an attitude about the house of God that was optimistic, positive, just passionate, loved the house. Next one is Psalm 23. Surely your goodness and your love will follow me. He's talking to God here. He's saying, surely your goodness and your love will follow me all the days of my life. I'm going to dwell in the house of the Lord until somebody makes me mad. Somebody they know. Come on, he said, uh, he didn't say it until somebody offends me. He's like, I, I dwell in the house of the Lord. How long? Never. Come on, how long? Never. So nothing that we can do, nothing that we can do is more in sync with Jesus than loving and building the house of God. Think about what I'm, what I'm saying to you, because a lot of people, they're like, Oh, yeah, well, I'm, a, I'm cool with Jesus. Like, I'm a, I'm, I'm a Jesus person. Like, like, I believe in Jesus, but I don't do church. That's just kind of the mindset 
you know, a minimizing of the value of the church and the elevating of the value and relationship with Jesus, at least verbally. And so a lot of people differentiate between Jesus and the church. And, and I want to just say, you, you, you're not allowed to do that if you're a Jesus person. You, you can't separate Jesus from the church. Here's a couple of reasons why. Jesus said, or, or I'm sorry, Scripture said in Ephesians 5, Christ loved the church, and he gave himself for the church. So there's nothing you and I can do that's in, more in sync with Christ than what? Loving the church. Secondly, Jesus said in Matthew 16 and 18, on this rock I will build, he personalizes it, he calls it his, I will build my church. And what's he say? So the first Ephesians says Christ loved the church. This verse says that I will build my loving and building, loving and building, loving and building, loving and building. You want me to take a different mic? Hey, I, I just want to remind you, in case you haven't thought about it, like this church got built in a pandemic. <laughs> Isn't that amazing? Like just, but that's the way it's always been in history. The church keeps going. Church keeps moving. Started off with a few frail followers of Jesus. And then it basically took over the Roman Empire. And like it just continued to spread through the earth. And here we are today in Kansas. Like people say you're not in Kansas anymore. Well, we are. We're in Kansas. And here we are together doing church, being church, right? And, and so there's nothing we can do that's more in sync with Jesus. Let me just ask you a couple questions. Just think. Let, think with me. I just showed you verses. I'm just making a point, and I want you to consider this. If Jesus loves and builds the church, why would any believer want to be indifferent toward the church? Just a question. If Jesus loves and builds the church, why would any believer be passive about the church? Why would any believer want to tear down what Jesus said he's building? Why would any believer want to discredit something that Jesus calls his? There are good causes, and I appreciate the way this church supports. We heard about compassion ministry and the way we support it. This church cares about the needs of humanity, the physical needs of humanity. Let's not ever, let's not ever though, lose sight of the fact that there's a good cause, there's good causes, and then there's God causes. And there's nothing more central to the heart 
of God than the church. And when the church is built, it helps and heals and blesses humanity. But if the enemy can get us to disregard church, undervalue church, underestimate church, be casual about church, like if he can just get his foot in the door and cause us to be lethargic toward church, uninspired about church, uncommitted about church, then not only does the church not get healthy and the church not be strong, not only are we not in sync with Jesus, but actually how do we actually heal and help the world? How are we salt and light? How, are, how do we help with compassion ministries and all the other things that we want to do in our city, in our community? It all begins in loving and building the house of God. Come on, clap your hands a little bit, will you? So great things happen in the house of God that don't happen anywhere else. Most of us that are here today, for example, got saved in a church. Our life got changed in a church. Now, not everything that happens in the house of God is great because humans are involved. <laughs> church is not perfect as long as there's people in it. And it won't be, it just won't be perfect as long as it's you and I, you know, that are a part of it. One day after I'd been, uh, I'd been away from home for a while, I went back home and I was originally, I grew up in St. Louis, by the way. I'm a Midwestern boy, and yeah, go Cardinals. I'm not getting any amens. That got nowhere. All right, go Royals. They just beat Seattle Mariners last night. It's called Spoiler. And I don't really care, because I live in Seattle, but... Mariners are minor league. That's my story. I'm sticking to it. Okay. Did you tell I got an attitude? I went home and uh, went back to St. Louis, and my mom gave had ready my favorite meal of meatballs and green peppers. And as I got home, it's all ready, and you know, and she's excited. I'm there, and mom and dad at the table, and and I, you know, I dip up some meatballs and put it in my plate, and I start to dig into it, and, and mom's watching me, you know, and looking at my face, and I, I didn't get real excited, and took a bite, chewed, took another bite, chewed, mom's like, how's the meatballs? And I'm like, wow, they're good, but it was my mom. Mom knows. Mom knows when you're telling the truth. Mom just said real quick back to me, she's like, well, my meatballs or like you're preaching. Sometimes you hit it, sometimes you don't. <laughs> That's true. Been pastor in the same church 35 years. They used to hear me 52 times a year. <laughs> Got it trimmed down now to maybe 30 or whatever. But, you know, sometimes I hit it, sometimes I don't. Sometimes I walk away and I'm like, I feel like, Oh, I didn't really do my best, serve the people well this weekend, and I just hope they forgive me and 
If anybody fell asleep, I hope they still come back next week and, you know, whatever. Like, I just because we're not perfect, and the song's not always perfect, and the microphone and the technology is not always perfect. Can I get an amen? Like, it's just not perfect, right? It, church is never going to be per- People make mistakes. Sheila and I got a Christmas card from a lady. She bought one for her husband. She bought one for us. And I opened the Christmas card, and it it said, hey, to my darling husband. And then it said some other stuff, and we won't talk about that. But he opened up his card, and it said, to my lovely pastors. Because there was a person on the other end of that. Meant well, but got it wrong, right? Meant well, but got it wrong. How many of you know the church is not perfect? Come on, how many of you know the church is not perfect? I, I've been tempted to put up signs at our church, no, perf- no perfect people allowed. Because sometimes we forget we're not perfect. We think we are, and then we kind of look and evaluate everybody else and do scorecards and all that kind of stuff, which ought not happen. There's human beings involved. And well, let me tell you another quick story. Uh, we have, like, stadium seating in our church and at our, in our main location, and so it's pretty steep riser kind of seating and uh, we realized that people in the upper risers uh, of the church were after service started people were coming other people were coming in late the people that were there on time and may they, they may have their hands up and you know eyes closed and then somebody would come along and want to get through because it was real narrow between where they were standing and the next seat in front of them and it's also really steep so we talked about it a little bit and said hey let's just stop everybody at the gate when they come in and have them wait until we either get to a, a song where eyes are open and people, you know, moving around a little bit and can move out of their way. And we just want to keep everybody safe. And so we made that first, the first weekend that we put that into action, uh, ushers were standing at gates. They were told by the head ushers, like, just keep everybody right there. Don't let them in. So he, this lady comes walking into church, and the ushers, like, stops her right there and says, can you wait just a minute? Puts his arm out. And she looks step back, and she's like, I can't go into church. And the usher, no, no, you can go into church. I'm, here's what we're doing. If you just wait here, we want best experience, safe, all that. We'll let you go in just a minute into, into the service. Cause you go in the gate, and then you kind of turn and you go up, you know. So he's just holding people there, and and uh, she she kind of copped a little bit of an attitude, and and then she let it rip. I guess they had a few words, and then she said something like, well, what would Jesus do? (laughs) She dropped the WWJD on him, like, what would Jesus do? And the quick-thinking usher said, Jesus would be on time for church. (laughs) 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 Yeah, I got an email from her that week, and I high-fived the usher, though. I thanked him. Point I'm making is the church is not perfect. It won't be perfect as long as people are a part of it, right? But that that d- doesn't change the fact that things happen in the house of God that don't happen at the grocery store, that don't happen at the library, that don't happen at school. Things happen in the house of God that don't happen anywhere else. In the house of God... People experience God's presence. The word of the Lord is spoken in the house of God. 
lives get changed, hearts get healed, relationships get restored, direction is set, vision comes into our hearts. In this house, children, babies get dedicated to the Lord. Children learn about God. People get baptized. People grow in faith. Friends become family. Young people or not so young people that are single, single people meet their other half in the house of God. Grace is huge in the house of God. Encouragement flows in the house of God. I'm just trying to remind you that stuff happens here that doesn't happen anywhere else. And let's build on that thought. The next one, the house of God is the closest thing to heaven on earth. Like, it's absolutely the closest thing to heaven on earth. I want to show you a scripture. Uh, it's, in, it's in the book of Genesis, and it's Jacob had been traveling out in the Judean hillside. He was, all, he was traveling, and he, he had an experience, a, a night experience, a ladder from heaven and so forth. You can go read about it. But the, what I want to focus on is Jacob awoke from his sleep. It was like a dream that had, had happened to him. And he thought, surely the Lord is in this place. And look at that last line. And I was not aware of it. Surely the Lord was in the play in this place, and I was not aware of it. I think this is what happens. In fact, I know this is what happens to all of us. In one way or another, we get desensitized to the good things in our life, the blessings in our life. Our church is part of that. Familiarity breeds contempt. There's a psychological word for it. It's called habituation. It's, it's, it's why people can live right next to a train track, and after they live there for a while, they no longer hear the train. Can you imagine living next to a train track and overwhelming and sound when you first move there, and eventually you just can't even, you don't even notice it? It, it's habituation. It's a, something happens to us that desensitizes us. And Jacob says, the Lord is in this place. And my awareness of that was zero. I was standing in a public restroom washing my hands one day in a to my right, the door opens and a woman walks in. And she takes about two steps, sees me at the sink, and I'm trying to ease the tension in the moment, and so I just, I just, you know, smile and, and say to her, you're in the wrong restroom. You know, and I, I thought you'd just break the moment. She, oh, I'm sorry, I'm sorry. And she's embarrassed, and she heads toward the door. She gets about halfway out the door. She turns around, looks at me, and says, no, you're in the wrong restroom. <laughs> I'll never forget, like walking out that door, I, had, I couldn't help myself. I had to look at the sign. And th there it was, like eye-level women, like women. I, and, and, and I'm like, how did I not see that? 
people don't see what people don't see. Are, are you with me? People, we, we don't notice what we don't notice, which is why we all, and this is my exhortation to you today, is can we just r- really be as attentive as possible? Can, can we make a big deal about things that seem insignificant or small sometimes that we actually don't want to, to leave our life or to be absent in our life, but we actually value it and appreciate it? Maybe we should talk about it a little more. Maybe we should emphasize a little more. Maybe we should, men should, you guys in the room, like maybe you should, you know, say to her once in a while, you know, or how about every day, like, wow, 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 you're looking good today. Or like maybe we, maybe we should go the extra mile is all I'm saying with our kids to tell them how much we love them, how much we appreciate them. And maybe we just need to be reminded in the house of God, don't take it for granted in the church, like, Let's not just let one Sunday or three Sundays or a month be about this building and and what God's done. Let's keep on being amazed and surprised and happy and thankful. And and, and I know there's some of you, like, you're, like, just really relaxed personality. You don't get too excited about anything. And I just want to kind of warn you, it doesn't make you a bad person if you don't see the good on a regular basis, but it does mean you're going to miss out on some great opportunities for your life to have more joy and your life to be filled with more faith and more gratitude and more optimism just by noticing more what it is that's good about your life. And and, and at church, it's like this, like when we pick up our kids, like, Thank, thanking the people who work over there. Like, and they're over there, sac- and, and at the parking lot, when they smile and they, well, we smile back. And, like, it's just like, hey, and we greet and we take the, you know, we take the, and we don't wait for somebody to talk to us. Uh, uh, you know, we, we talk to them. We spread smiles. We do high fives. We have generosity in our gestures. <laughs> in Washington, D.C., just a, a few years ago, early one morning, a man is walking down the sidewalk and finds a spot by the metro wall and sets his case down on the ground and then pulls out a violin, puts his hat on the sidewalk, and he begins to play. And thousands of people walk by. Thousands of people walk by. It's, you know, you can imagine a busy morning, metro station right there and they're just walking by and th- and and then you know a few people put some money in the hat and few people stop for a second or two and maybe wave but most people just hurry on by for hours few hours that morning he did this and then when he ended he grabbed the hat he had a total of $32 in the hat put the violin back in its case And what nobody knew that morning was on that sidewalk, his name was Joshua Bell, world-renowned violinist. The violin itself was $3.5 million. And he played for a few hours absolutely free on a sidewalk. And just three days before, a Boston theater was packed out at an average of $100 per seat. 
Now, I'm not shaming anybody. Like, if I'd have walked down that sidewalk, I'd, I'd have probably done the same thing. I'm just making a point of human nature here. People don't know what people don't know. And, and so what happens is that oftentimes we pass by greatness and we don't acknowledge it. We, we pass by something that's really awesome and marvelous and we don't even see it. And so Jacob woke up and he said, surely the Lord, and I was not aware of it. And then what did he do? He moved on to the next one. He was afraid, but here's what he said. How awesome is this place? Wait, wait a minute, Jacob. There's a, there's a stone here. There's a bunch of dirt here. There is nothing here. What did he say? How awesome is this place? It's none other than what? None other than the house of God. None other than the gates of heaven. He's filled with adoration. He's filled with acknowledgement. He's filled with praise. And again, my goal here today is I just hope to remind you, let's remind one another, let's help each other out, that there are great things and there are glorious things that are going on in this house right now. There are dreams coming true. There are prayers being answered. And this is not just like any other place in town. It's a special place. Not because it's a building. We, we dedicated the building Friday night to the Lord. But it's not just because it's a, a building, but it's a house we have dedicated to being the house of God. Old Testament, by the way, house of God, is New Testament church. And a little bit of that evolution, a little bit of that evolution it, in the Old Testament, there was the first tabernacle was what we call the tabernacle of Moses. That's where uh, blood sacrifices occurred. It was, you know, it was a pretty, um, pretty stoic would be a good word, pretty stoic sort of thing to go to the house of God, you know, and, 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 and animals were offered for sin. And it just wasn't like a really pleasant experience. And then it's called the Tabernacle of Moses. And then you fast forward and you come to a guy, guy named David. And, and I just read you a bunch of psalms about the house of God. Meet David. David was a man born with the house of God in his heart, but a vision for something different than the Tabernacle of Moses. And that became what we know in theology as the Tabernacle of David. Tabernacle of David was totally different. Tabernacle of David was about singing. It was about, he was a songwriter. It was about instruments. And he's the guy that said things like, clap your hands, all ye people. Shout unto God with a voice of triumph. You know, he's the guy who said things like, lift up your heads, all ye gates. Like, he just like, he got us advanced from, and the house of God advanced from the Moses tabernacle to what we then, then became the tabernacle of David. He introduced, he was a dancer. He had a vision, build God a house. I'm going to read a scripture in a minute about that. And, and he never got to build it, but he, his son uh, oversaw it or, or built it, and he oversaw it. David, in other words, was just, he had, the Bible says he had a heart after God. And he envisioned something like more like you and I are a part of today. It then went to New Testament which is what I've been sharing with Then went over to the New Testament. Jesus came on the scene. And the house of God, Jesus introduced it by calling it the church. 
and that's the sequence. Like we're, it's, you know, we're not separated from them. Those are our ancestors. The Hebrews of old, the, the Abrahams and the Isaacs and the Jacobs and the Davids, and the, they're, they're, they're us, but we're in a different season right now. And this season is not meant to be, uh, we're going to cry, we're going to weep, we're going to be broken, but it's not meant to be that. It's, it's meant to be celebration. It's, I love this about your church. It's meant to be life-giving. It's meant to be thinking about the goodness of God and expressing gratitude to him. That's the church. And it's also in God's plan, it's plan A, and there is no plan B. It's the closest thing to heaven on earth. There's nowhere on earth more like heaven than the house of God. Okay? Next is when it comes to the house of God, this is the last point. Let's be, I just want to encourage you, let's be big thinkers. And let's be faith-filled people. First Chronicles 22 is that verse I was talking about. Here's what David said. He said, my son Solomon is young and inexperienced. And the house to be built for the Lord. He has a vision to build a house for God. It should be, look at that. It should be of great magnificence. And fame and splendor. Our heart ought to be to make God's house famous, make it known. With all I've talked about today, if we just can kind of keep it in mind, remind ourselves what happens here. It doesn't happen anywhere else. Then it's something to be like excited about. Oh, I want to make the house. Jesus is building and that Christ loved. I just want to make it as famous as we can. I want to bring friends. I want to introduce people to it. And I think most of you today would say, I'm just thankful I have a church that has life, has energy, smiles, fun. I'm glad I have a church that has band shoes. Our pastors are cool. They print van shoes and shirts that are cool. And I'm just glad. Like, I think most of you would be like, it's great. We meet the moment of the generation we're part of. I'm going to ask for my helpers to come today. I, I think uh, Nate uh, uh, is here. I just want to give you a little illustration. Oliver, come on up. Nate, you got to just, if you would, just stand there for a second. Um, my family is from South Louisiana. So I'm talking about we, what, what is known as Cajun and beer drinking, men kind of crazy, women chasing, alligator hunting, big trucks, big tires. And that's that was the that was the Gerald family tree. And my grandfather, when he was a teenager, went to a revival service. And on that night, 
my life was changed. Yes, his life. But I didn't get that wrong. My life. Hear me when I tell you, my life was changed. Because my grandfather became part of the local church. And when I was a kid visiting in summers in Louisiana, he put me in the car early every Sunday morning. He was the head usher. He's there before everybody else, opening up the doors and turning on the lights and making sure the thermostat's good. And that was my grandpa. He also chose a path of trusting God, believing God. Believing God had big things for his life, and he became an executive at Exxon Oil. And where everybody else up until that time had struggled with addictions and family separation, and scores of divorce, and even felons in our family line, my grandfather just found a new path. And I became the beneficiary of blessings. Natural, spiritual blessings in my life. So I was, um, a few years ago, I was thinking about legacy. I'm, I'm now in my 60s. I started preaching when I was about 19. I love the house of God. But I thought, what, you know, what does legacy really mean? And I thought about my grandpa, and then I thought about how my dad, both of my grandpa's children went into full-time ministry. And then my dad became a pastor in St. Louis for over 30 years. And I just thought back to my family history and what my, what my grandpa started and how that played out in my life. And so then I thought about the Bible. I realized I'm number three. I realized I'm number three in a sequence. It was my grandpa, and then it was my dad, and then it was me. And I then was reminded that the Bible talks about pairings of three a lot. It's Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Scripture says that a wise man leaves an inheritance for his children's children. The Apostle Paul said to Timothy, one day, he's just saying, I pray, my prayer for you is that the faith that dwells in your mom and in your grandmother will also dwell in you. I see it in you, son. Threes. It's, and, and there's more than that, but just to name a couple. That, And so I, I just started, began to talk to our church and ask everyone to think three. Think three. And now, you know, if you're around Champion Center, there's T-shirts that say think three. There's cups that say think three and that's just sort of our our ambition it's our goal and what that really means is how about you switch side just for me if you would this is nate nate's 27 years old this is oliver oliver's 10 and what i want to i want to show you is that i mean i could definitely get me like here or somebody like me at this age and what happens is that when you when you're a big thinking person. We're not just thinking big about a building or a, not just thinking big about how many people are in the room. This is our second service today. Our church is going to grow in number. We're not just talking about that. We're talking about 
thinking long term. And, I, and so I'm asking you to not just think about right now, but I'm asking you to think about the days ahead. And, and here's what I came to realize is that I have a grandson who's 11 right now, and although I, I'm the lead pastor of a church, of our church, my grandson's like, I'm just Papa. What I've noticed is that who really influences them is the 15-year-old at church, the youth leader at church. What I've noticed is that if I can just get him in the atmosphere, I do my deal at home, of course, and his, their, their parents do their deal, but I've just watched this play out over and over and over again. I dedicate babies right now whose parents I dedicated when they were a baby. And I have watched the parents of those that are still in our church. One of my, our, our location pastors, his dad joined our ministry team when he was about 20 years old. He raised two boys in the church, and now that one of them is a location pastor, and his son is named Jax. And, and example after example, and so I'm asking people, when we say legacy, it's kind of like it's obscure. And I'm just kind of putting something on it to say, okay, think three. Like, everybody can think three. Like, if you can just think three. Like, so so if if Matt were here, Matt may or may not know Matt. Matt's a young guy that drives me around, but he's old enough to be over here. If Matt were here, it goes to Nate. And then Nate goes over here to Oliver. And the idea is, Nate may be number two in that sequence, but he's number one in his sequence. And if you're if you're 18 right now, if somebody's put in something in you, if you're thankful for mentors and people who have helped you, if you're thankful for being in the house of God, an opportunity to go to church, can I ask you to be big enough thinking that you don't pass by Oliver in the hallway? I know you're 18. I know you're in college. I know you're cool. I know you got your deal going. But will you just think about a 10-year-old who you can influence? First of all, just a high five, a smile. What's up, Oliver? Did you have a good week, buddy? And that goes further, I promise you. Most of the time, that goes further than mom, dad, because somebody who's 18 notices Oliver. We can all get in on this is what I'm saying. Like, we can all be part of this. If we can be big enough thinking and think long enough term. Because my grandpa, he didn't know there was going to be a, a, a boy that was going to be born named Kevin whenever he was a teenager walking into a revival. All he knew is that I'm going to love and build the house of God. And because he set a pattern. So, so parents, that's the other thing. Can I just say to everybody, we got a new building here. Don't just come once a month. Don't just come 
occasionally. Your children need to be here every single week. Bring your children, bring your family. Integrate into the house of God. Well, they're busy, school, Little League. There's nowhere else like the house of God. They will not get in Little League what they get at church. They will not get at school what they get in church. And I just hope, I just hope this is being practical enough for you to understand like the power of what, what the transference that happens. We pray for our kids, but it's not just about praying for our kids. It's about bringing our kids into the atmosphere week after week where church is the, I mentioned my grandson, they can't wait to go to church. They love church. And you know what? If they get a funk going, 15, 16 years old or whatever, I bet there's going to be a Nate around who's pretty cool dude right now. Yeah. And where, where my voice doesn't matter, but I brought him into church, Nate's going to find him. And my prayer with Nate, I even, I slip over to, I'm guilty because of the thing three. I slip over to young men and young people a lot. And, and, and I'll say to somebody 16, 18, 20, see, see that little kid over there? Go put your arm around him. Give him a high five. Smile real big. Let them know you're glad to see them in church today. Do that a lot because I understand the power. I understand the significance. And I understand that Oliver is going to find somebody to look up to. He's going to find somebody to get approval from. It's going to be at school. It's going to be in the neighborhood. It's going to be somewhere. How about we give it to him at church? Come on. How about we validate him? Thank you guys. Let's give the let's give these guys a, a great big hand today, can we? Amen. Amen. So if you're in today, if, if you're in on this, Psalm 92 and 13 says, Those that are planted in the house of the Lord will flourish in the courts of God. My my ask of you is be planted. My ask of every single one of you, if you're a believer. Starting today, this is a new, it's a new chapter, I guess you could say, in the life of Velocity Church. If you've been kind of on the outside, I want to ask you to come on in. Get planted in the house of the Lord. And, and when you get planted, you'll grow, you'll be cultivated, and you'll bring good fruit. But the fruit on your tree will actually serve to feed others. And you'll be a blessing.